What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Books to Business Workshop. I hope uh, hope everyone's doing well. Hope you had a good week. Life's starting to return to some form of normal, it looks. At least there was people on the beach today. Got a nice beach running. You did? That was beautiful. Did you get run over down there? What do you mean? Oh, it wasn't that crowd. I, I, w- I just saw barely anybody there. I saw like two people. On really? The, yeah. No, it, was it was fun. Busy. Good to get outside and get a little raise. Uh, here we go. Thinking fast and slow, Daniel Kahneman. This is an um, interesting book about the systems, system one, system two. And, you know, it, I, I've had a hard time connecting the dots to um, a fluid way to explain this book. It, there's, yeah, there's so many moving parts. I think if I, <clears throat> I had to do it, like if I'm talking to my, my brother or like someone right. who hasn't read it or a young kid or something like that, I would say there's system one. And system two, and system one, like you said on the podcast, is sort of the primal, reactive, you don't think right. about it, you just do yeah. it. System two is when system one fails, it's where we actually think and we use logic and reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and so most of the book is just different examples of how like, we, we think that we're using logic and reason, but we're really using system one. Yeah, you know, so it's like it's it's almost like the relationship and how a lot of the times we think we're in control, but it's like no, we're not. Yeah, because you you know the the priming effect of um, of your emotions that you had your whole life are are automatic. Like there's things like if you think about your mother, yeah, you automatically feel good, and and then there's certain things you can think about to automatically feel bad. And if advertisers and and he also refers to sociopaths if they know that type of thing, you could you you give them a you know, the halo effect. You mean them, you make them better than they really are because they're good at winning over your first system. And they, they keep you out of system too, which is the analytical system, the effortful analysis. Yeah. Uh, so you got to be careful. And this is a book, I think, for people that are buying, like a lot of books are, and there's a lot of cognitive biases here. You know, if you're buying, be aware of being in quick decision mode in system one because they're bringing you towards uh, commitment consistency. Yeah. You know, a series of yeses that get you, you know, hard to say no. And then if you're selling, you want to stay ethically in system one, you know, emotionally easy to understand, to avoid cognitive illusion, as he, as he talks about. There's a lot of stuff that it's applicable to sales. It's yeah. almost like, do you remember way back in the day, maybe uh, week two, maybe three, when we brought up an Amazon page? Yeah. And we were yeah. showing on the cognitive biases? Mm-hmm. That's, that's all, wild. Yeah, that's all system one stuff. Like simple, short titles. We're drawn to that. We'll click that. And we don't even know why, but we'll yeah. click it versus something long that system one doesn't work. And then it moves to system two and we have to analyze it and think about it. And right. that's when you lose people. You ever in the, you ever in the uh, grocery store and you look left and you see those tabloids? Mm. They have these images of things that are system one driven, like image of like the Princess Diana. And then look, they'll have some kind of crazy headline, like a fast headline that, like, that because the picture puts you in a state, and the short headline that uh, elicited emotions, all of a sudden you're feeling compelled to do something. You know, buy the magazine, read the article. Yeah. And that's uh, that's interesting because writing short copy is about uh, what he calls cognitive fluency, cognitive ease. You know, write something easy to understand. Stay away from complex words because once you're in complex words, you're flipping over to. And an, an, an analysis, an effortful analysis. Gotcha. Yeah. What um, curious for for the folks that uh, are are hanging out with us. What um, did you take away? Or are there any questions or any specific? 
uh, examples in here because, like, like Terry was saying, there's a lot. I, I was calling this like an encyclopedia. Right. <laughs> there's just so much stuff in here, and it's tough. It was the first time uh, in a while that I couldn't really run while listening to it because there's not really story. You have to sit down and like. He says it's a manual for making decisions. Oh, That's what I heard. Manual. I heard him sure in interviews like this is a manual for yeah. making decisions and being, you know, being sold and buying. There's nuggets in there. Of course, yeah. yeah there's yeah. great nuggets. I mean, he's a Nobel Prize winning economist. I strike that he's a Nobel Prize winner in the economic field, but he's a psychologist. psychologist. Yeah, behavioral economics. I think is is his is his sweet spot. Yeah, it's cool yeah. to see. As a Dustin it didn't finish the book either. That we saying yeah, it was a monster. <laughs> I got stuck a few times. Yeah. yeah, I need to see. I need. I need a little bit of story. Um, the, the research is is remarkable, though. The research in the book is amazing. I really liked the uh, the the sunk cost idea. Um, yeah, and, and I'm not sure if this is um, what is it? Not affirmation bias, but when it confirm confirmation bias. Confirmation bias. Uh, because it's like. I don't know. I, I just I, I try and implement it into my life. Like the whole pizza thing. It's like you bought the pizza. You're not hungry. There's three pieces left, but you bought the pizza. So eat the pizza. But why? It's a sunk cost. The money's gone anyway. If it's not going to do you any good, get rid of the pizza. Like that type yeah. of thing. That's why you end up with a lot of crap. Yeah. You just moved, right? You, you learned how much crap you, you... Remember that? You said you don't have much stuff and all of a sudden you took like 10 trips. You know what else I did? <laughs> I threw away stuff. That I need now. And I'm like, the little things I can buy. We were just talking about the little mic stand. It's really um, I'm like, I have 500 mic stands. I don't need this. And then, but it's like a little one. And anyway, that's neither here nor there. When you read essentialism, you just want to throw your entire closet uh, away. Oh, uh, yeah. Essentialism. But, uh, what do you think, Steve? I thought it was you a wake up over tough there? one. <laughs> that <laughs> one was, uh, it's definitely a <clears throat> information dense book. Um, but I really love learning about the subconscious and those type of things. People have really great comments. I'm going to read a few of them. Yeah. Um, so Dustin got through 18, as you said, and he said, uh, he can see yeah. how they can apply system one and system two into business and everyday life. Um, didn't finish either. This one was great. Funny moment from chapter seven. Her favorite place is beside herself and her favorite sport is jumping jump to conclusions. Conclusion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember that. Uh, and I had a question <laughs> for you guys. Um, do you have a cognitive bias that, um, really stands out to you that you deal with or you find yourself really becoming a victim to, like when in this book or any, any other book? Ooh. Can you bring them up? Yeah, sure. That's a the good 25 question. cognitive bias? Is that, do you I have mean, that you have, I can just start rattling them off. The, I'll get seven or eight of them. You have, uh, you know, reward bias, pain, pain avoidance bias, um, authority, social proof, reciprocity, contrast, um, cognitive fluency, Cognitive overload, cognitive illusions, cognitive strain. Um, I mean, these are all super stimulating system one uh, automatic responses to things. This is like essential to to anything. Like if you knew Amazon and, and you were you were in the Amazon page. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, Steve, you can share the screen. Do you not yeah, do that? Sure. Go to Amazon. Just go to Amazon for a quick second. Just share the screen and we'll go through this for if you're listening at home. Uh, just go to Amazon and see any anything in Amazon right now that's like a deal of the week. They're going to hit about seven buttons in your brain, and you're going to have what Charlie Munger calls the Lollapalooza. That's this like unbelievable stacking of of impulse that makes you buy. And if you don't think this is true, this is the number one most successful business I think in by a mile. Like, what's been more successful than this? Bestsellers. I'm going to bestsellers. Yeah, go to something like uh, yeah, yeah that 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 thing. That's what we it, used last time. We might have <coughs> used the same thing. Oh, the fire stick. Yeah, yeah. Don't, you got to stay off it. 
All right. So you look at the, the top there, the social proof. Like the stars. How many stars you got there on the top? 174,000. Yeah. And the, you see released. Uh, that's, uh, that's 174,000. That's social proof and authority. And, and uh, Amazon bestseller. Again, that's, uh, that would be an example of, of social proof. And then released 2019, that'd be called novelty. New buys. It's a brand new. Usually, that might even look like a, you know, the you know, image. Uh, you know, the second edition, the third edition, like the iPhone does that to you. That's novelty bias. Um, the cross out of the. That's 40. called contrast. You see any more, Eddie? Free shipping yeah. is a reward. This one, get a fifty-dollar Amazon gift card. Reward bias. That's a reward. <laughs> uh, is there anything for availability? There's usually an availability. In stock on June. Yeah. And then a scarcity. There's usually a, a scarcity element in there. So if you read through it, if you really read these things, and I can't see the, the right side when you buy off to the right panel, usually it'll, it'll have some kind of, you know, get it now, buy now. That's called the availability heuristic. That's an automatic impulse. So that's, that's, if you want to learn how to sell something, look at Amazon, and they hit the triggers here. You know, novelty, authority, Contrast, you know, what that does is it, it you're comparing something higher or something uh, your, that you priced as something higher, so you're making it look smaller. And he talks about this in the book. Isn't that interesting? <coughs> but that's, uh, that's, you want to get a PhD in marketing? Just study what Amazon does. Because everything they do is tested. Simple pain avoiding. If you want to look at, you know, the two big, biggest things in Amazon are the reviews, uh, the good and bad reviews. Good reviews for a reward, bad reviews for pain if you're, if you're marketing. I've learned to be skeptical of reviews. I don't trust them. Yeah. You know, because I, I just see so many marketers buy, buy reviews. You can buy them now, right? You can buy anything. System one. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> That's yeah. a system one. Yeah. I've, been, I've been, like, walking around this week saying, oh, system one. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah. uh, when you believe someone that you feel is an authority, you give them a halo effect. You mean you put them up on a pedestal because yeah. they look a certain way or they remind you of somebody uh, or their voice. You see this a lot with people's voices. Like they like they You just like you because your voice. You can say whatever you want. It's Isn't that interesting? Malcolm Gladwell, where, where is that book? Well, I guess we don't really We're need to show up, but Talking strangers. to Strangers, that whole yeah. book is System 1. It's about why we believe people right? without thinking about it and moving into System 2 because yeah. we're just inclined to... Um, put people on the, the a, a level of truth and trust. It's a real epidemic right now of, of misrepresentations. The, the marketers are getting very aggressive. Have you noticed that lately? Internet marketing? Yeah, like super aggressive. Yeah, for the past couple of years. But most, more so in the last couple of months. Oh, really? Yeah. I haven't oh, noticed yeah. that. I've no. noticed it. Yeah, I've noticed a lot of people. Um, you got to be careful when there's desperate times, people do desperate things. Um, so if people have been displaced, you'll start to see some aggressive marketing. A lot of people are aggressively marketing to coaches, to people who become life coaches and be, do these things that they, they sell you on, the illusion, all this system one stuff that your life will feel this way. And you know they don't tell you about the system two journey to creating yourself, um, you know, recreating yourself. It's, it's, it's an honorable journey, but it's a journey. It's not, you just don't snap your fingers and yeah. show up rich. Yeah, all that stuff's the same. You know, social proof, they sell a dream, <clears throat> they pinpoint your pains, yeah. and then they sell you a $3,000 price. I mean, there's nothing you can't get in a book, right? 
Everything's from a book, right? Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I built a whole a whole program, a whole training program out of out of parts of books that I've learned. Because they, you know, you, you you try them, you learn something from a book, and then you try it in field in a field exercise, and then all of a sudden it works, and now you got a principle that works for wherever you're, whatever space you're in. Mm. You know, so you know, I'm mostly dealing with people that are selling things. So a lot of the principles in psychology was selling. You know, if you're selling, you want to stay in short cognitive ease and stay away from cognitive overload because once you go to system two you're gonna you start getting uphill confusion battle. yeah and yeah. They're, they're evaluating the brain's not quite knowing how to do it you gotta liken it to taking someone to a, a destination you know over your left shoulder right shoulder there i see the hollywood uh, hard rock casino mm-hmm. right i know how to get there without gps but i don't know how to get to like boca raton marriott so if I had to go to Boca Raton Marriott, I'd have to open up my phone and I'd have to pay attention to it and, and it'd have to be effortful. Like, you want to be... Oh, I get what you're saying. Yeah, system driving. one is you know how to do yeah. it. It's automatic. Like driving from work to home. A lot of people right. go through that. Right. Versus the old... Remember MapQuest? Looking at directions? That was oh. like when I first started driving. I'm, I used to do a map book. Like I when know. I first a map book, they didn't oh, have like in, yeah. There was the no movies? computer. No, you had a book. You <laughs> open it up. You go to the city and you stop. You pull over. You turn your dome light, and you'd open up the city and you'd have to count the streets. Like it's town down six streets. Take a left, and then you have to find the house. That was a map book, and my dome light didn't work when I was selling insurance when I was broke. So I had to get out of my car and go go to the headlight <laughs> and look oh at it in God. the middle of the night when I was lost. It was a map book. You guys ever you guys ever find yourself like. Right now, when I have places, I just moved here, so a lot of places I don't know how to get to. I just hit navigation. A lot of times, I just hit start and like let the lady, let Siri speak to me, and I don't even. And then sometimes I catch myself trying to understand the roads because like sometimes when if Siri's not working right away, I don't know where I'm going, and I feel like should I even bother trying to use some of my brain to <coughs> learn those roads, or should I just let her? It's a weird thought, dude. I was thinking the same. That's so weird that you said that because like weird. there's places within a half mile radius that yeah. I've never paid attention. Yeah. I've been going there for six months. Yeah. It's like yeah. at some point, <laughs> there's little basketball courts around here because like the gyms are closed that I'm looking for, yeah. and they're really close. They're like down Hollywood, and I can't remember the turn every time. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I just put it on, and I'm like, and I listen to a book or something while I'm driving, so I don't look at my phone. And she just tells me when to turn, and I think, should I know this? Is this something I should train my brain to know? So like, I don't have to. I don't know. I don't know because then it's gonna only gonna get better. The GPS, so it's like, I don't know. Do a fun test. This is like, it's a little <laughs> stressful the first time, but I've, I've started doing this. Like, just put your phone, like, on the floor and uh, be like, whatever happens, happens. Oh no. <laughs> and what? you figure it out, and then you oh. never... I mean, I'm talking about situations where, like, you sort of know, yeah. but you're kind of lazy with the GPS. Yeah. yeah. And then you never need it again, and it's kind of a, a liberating feeling. That's interesting. I use it, I use <laughs> That's very so interesting. I mean, I get you. I mean, I hate using the GPS. We used to look at the map and we'd know where we could go about. We'd know around where it is. Yeah. No one knows where anything is anymore. I know. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> you, ever lo- you ever lose your phone and, and you don't have any phone numbers? You don't have anything. I've had my phone yeah. die when I didn't know how to get, yeah. uh, get somewhere. And yeah. I didn't have a car charger. That was a, that was a bad experience. A car charger. Yeah. And I, got the, I got off a plane the other day and my Uber, uh, I drove a float the other day and my, my phone was dead. I had a... I had no ability to, I could call the Uber, but it would have died while the Uber was coming. I wouldn't know who it was, so I had to stop and charge it. I mean, that's how, the old days, you get in a cab or, you know, go drive yourself. Isn't that weird? It is. 
You better be ready to move and change, right, in life? Yeah, we didn't really go over this in the podcast. We didn't get to this chapter, chapter 9, but I thought it was an interesting one. I wanted your take, which is answering an easier question. I have a summary to refresh it. Uh, What's up? I remember it. Go ahead. Substitution. Yeah. So if you get a really difficult question, like how do you get to... How do you get to Greensville, uh, North Carolina? You know, if you said, well, I don't know how to get there. But I know how to get to I-95, right? So you answer a different question. Um, I'm not sure where Greensville is, but uh, maybe you'd answer that question because you know the answer to that one, but you don't know the answer to the bigger question. But it could happen up in anything else. Like, yeah. what's uh, you know, 29 times 62? Uh, yeah, you'd have know. to kind of round up and round down to get it close. You know, yeah. it's the substitution. He gives an example in the book of um, the guy that the CEO that buys Ford stock. Do you remember that? Right. So, so yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, essentially, he's like that. He's at a conference and he sees Ford give their pitch, or whatever, and he goes and he invests in Ford. And but he didn't look at the statistics. He didn't look at you know, what they'd been doing, their trends. Mm-hmm. He basically said, I like Ford and I like the car. And so he, that's an example of him asking an easier question, like not asking the one ahead. Yeah, because the brain will fill in the blanks of everything, right? Because he saw it and he liked it. He must assume that the company did the research and, and the company's in good place. They put out this great product. So he didn't do all the, you know, what, is, what do you say in the book? He says, what there is is all there is. Yeah. Or what you, what see, you see is, is all, all you, there is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like everything else is eliminated until you get that information. In fact, Brene Brown talked about that, right? In in the absence of data, we invent a story. Storytellers. Yeah, in the you know we invent the rest of the story, because if you have an employee that's uh, not performing and you're, and then they're not showing up to some meetings and you're you're inventing the rest of the story, like why aren't they there? They just they don't care. They don't want to be there. Instead, you know there could be a big a big legitimate thing going on in their lives that you don't know about because they haven't told you or you haven't asked. You know what be interesting to do, speaking of Brene Brown? Like, to connect dots from every... So, like, Brene Brown's story to Noah Harari and humans being the only group that tells stories to another, but, like, you can connect all these concepts. Yeah, Storyteller Secrets um, and Marketing Made Simple, Donald Miller's book on story brand. That'd be a good YouTube video. Brand. Yeah, that would work. We're actually looking at doing 25 business books in 20 minutes, 25 minutes. I think 10 for cognitive fluency reasons. <laughs> we can do a speed date on a book a minute. I mm. know if we had to do it. What do you have for questions, Steve? Uh, Dustin mentioned something. It's not really a question, but just kind of your thoughts. Uh, something that could be applied to business. He brought up the Chapter 15, the Linda problem, and he said he's kind of using it. It's basically removing some details for his presentations. Uh, he used it in his current job role, and our team spends many hours preparing the project. I find this extremely useful right now, where we no longer travel to clients on site, so our presentation must be on point. And the Linda problem, if you remember, was um, in the book he explains how there's a lady, and he gives uh, details, which are like single, outspoken, and very, pr- very bright. Her name is Linda. She majored in philosophy, concerned about social justice. And when they asked a group of people which alternative is more probable, most people say that Linda is more likely to be a bank teller who is active in the feminist movement than merely a bank teller. So adding more details, people believed it more, even though it's like statistically doesn't make any sense. So it was just a really interesting chapter. Um, But yeah, when I heard that, I I thought the same thing because he gave a couple examples. I'm like, that sounds right. Like you would think that she does all these Mm. things, but... Statistically, obviously, doesn't make sense. There's much more bank tellers, and then if you add more details, obviously, it reduces that. Oh yeah, that was interesting. Um, 
Yeah, because you associate you associate like data with people that you know. Like if you say like a warming feeling about an image you might be thinking about. So you might hear someone that sounds like your mother. Like which is warm. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know if that's a good or bad analogy. <laughs> My mother was great. So like you might hear something that sounds like, you know, a very warming person. It sounds like your mother, but doesn't have anything to do with who your mother is. Mm. So you may treat that person in, in system one, you treat that person. That's why you trust Miss Honey better. Matilda. <laughs> trust no one. Because <laughs> your brain your brain plays tricks on you. Uh, trust but verify, Ron Reagan. Yeah, he says the most coherent story is not necessarily the most probable, but perhaps the most plausible. Mm-hmm. Adding detail to scenarios might make them more persuasive, but but still less likely. It's just so weird that we want the story to be true, even <coughs> like when it's just overwhelming statistics doesn't make any sense. There are so many things. It's like you can't trust yourself. Yeah, it's really, it's like that. That's the takeaway from this book. It's like don't trust your thoughts. You see those foolish. Uh, puzzles on Facebook now where there's a chicken oh yeah yeah and then a ba- a banana and then like three <laughs> drumsticks and all of a sudden you're doing a, you're sure that the answers like you do the math you think you're clever well I'm smart enough to know that three turkeys equals 30 and then two chickens uh equals 7 and then you had to do all this math real quick and pretty soon you're sure about this number and then the person running the contest gets a big kick out of it cuz they tricked you yeah you know they made an illusion you look in the comments, there's 700 different answers. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've seen that. <laughs> one, of them, one of them, I had to count the feathers. Right? I didn't realize the feathers were part of the equation. It wasn't the turkeys. It was, it was all these feathers on the turkey. Like the oh. turkey had like five feathers, and then in the, in the other one, they put turkeys down the bottom, and it looked like the same turkey, but only had four feathers. So the answer was so wrong. This guy took but, it another level. Well, they're tricking you, and that's the thing. With, you know, like your brain doesn't want to stop. Uh, if the picture wasn't so similar you you would you would start to scrutinize it but your brain doesn't want to stop it wants to figure stuff out quick yeah yeah we're, that's a survival technique you didn't have time with a, uh, what are they what's we used to eat a saber-toothed lion lion or whatever you call them tigers <laughs> <laughs> so the tigers the elephant would stab you in the heart with a tusk yeah one of my favorite one of my favorite things elephant. that I, <laughs> I, I got stuck in prehistoric times yeah, one of my favorite parts of the book was when he uh, described that saber-toothed elephant, and he was saying that. <laughs> um, no, the the invisible gorilla. That one, that one hit me like a long, maybe like five years ago when I first heard about that one. I remember seeing it in school, but I hadn't seen it in a long time. Is you know that that example, right? <coughs> yep. They, the basketball. Yeah, and I show it to people because I've I've talked about it on my podcast and I've talked about how you don't see it, but it's so much different when you watch that video and it happens to you. Like you don't see the gorilla, you're like, oh my god! I, and then you everybody wants to rewatch the like rewind the video yeah. to make sure like it wasn't there. <coughs> I didn't see it. I've seen it. every every friend yeah. I show. I say you have to watch it. I can't explain it, and it happens to them, and they they just see life differently because they're like, oh my god! I didn't even see this giant thing in the back. That was one of the most eye opening things. Yeah. It's like you see what you focus on. Well, yeah, the the magi- magicians do that. They have their hands and you're they're like they're like drifting you over here and they're working you on the left, you know, they they bring your eyes somewhere else. Yeah. That's what they do. Never let a magician near you. Near you. <laughs> they're the okay. creepiest, remember that. <laughs> creepiest people on earth. I already earth. had that rule in place. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't they kind of creepy sometimes? Oh, my God. I don't know. I, don't know any. I was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> magicians and saber-toothed lions. It's, it's, been, it's been a roller coaster of a night. Uh, the other day I was... Uh, remember, remember last week we were talking about... Um, how I wanted to go on this like fourteen mile run, and mm-hmm. it just uh, 
all went wrong and yeah. I got like heat stroke. Right. <laughs> all right. So, so I was, there's that street down there that I, oh, I've probably run through it. Zero exaggeration guys. Like, over a hundred times, well over a hundred times. This is the first time I've walked. I had to walk. I slowly made my way down the street, and I'm looking at these houses, and I'm like, "These are trillion dollar homes." Oh, wow. I was surprised you. You've been living here a while. You that you said that. That's a very famous, rich area in the in in the uh, in that strip. I, I just What's didn't know. Sunny Isle, a Golden Beach. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's yeah. like we're. Uh, Who's that bit football player they're chasing around with a gun? Antonio Brown. Yeah, I love that guy. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna find him. Wait, I thought that night we were out yeah, looking for him. As soon as I him. heard that he's on the loose, I, said, I gotta become part of this problem. We're gonna, gonna get him go. on the podcast. He's gonna take my role. <laughs> that won't <laughs> be hard. <laughs> Sometimes you hit your GPS to go to work and you end up in some playground jumping I know. around. With it's hard. Town. When I come from Golden Beach, it's kind of a long place. Golden Beach. <laughs> Golden Beach, Sunny Isle. <laughs> Same thing. That's like the walk of shame, right? If you jog somewhere and you can't get home. I was dead. I was just, I was, yeah. They used to have that. The walk of shame used to be a college term. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I went to school at UMass Lowell, and there was, there, there was, a, there was, a, in UMass Lowell, there's a river called the Merrimack River. If you, if you ever know what it is, it's, it's a big gorge and goes, big bridge that went over, and the, and our apartment was on one side, and then the, the girls' dorms were the other side, so if I was going somewhere in the morning, you'd see all these people making that walk of shame <laughs> over that windy bridge and the ice and the wind and snow. Oh, my gosh. So terrible. Oh, the walk of shame. So, speaking of walks of shame, this actually has nothing to do with that. But, um, Did you start that yet? Yeah. I'm not far into it. Maybe an hour and a half, two hours. But yeah. um, there's a point here where Tim Ferriss kind of picks up on... Uh, on a concept from Thinking Fast and Slow that I made a connection earlier um, with loss aversion. Mm. That's a risk aversion. Right. Um, you know, in, in human <clears throat> beings' tendency to, you know, not want to... They, they want to protect what they have and avoid loss more than they want to yeah. chase opportunity. And so it was cool because he... This is this is a fun book because it's a, sto- it's a story, you know. And so he's saying, like, that's what happens and here's what we do about it. You know, because we're so scared to lose and we ignore the upside, we create like these false realities. And so like fake optimism, things will get better. I'm not going to change because things will be amazing someday. I'm going to stay the same because it'll work out. And so that'll be fun when uh, when, when we get further into that to see that there are some pieces of uh, thinking fast and slow that kind of translate into uh, the world of entrepreneurship and travel and well, if you think about this this cover, right? And you know, we he he's not going to be coming on our show, is he? He said he oh. doesn't even take. Yeah. Oh, good. Then I can I can talk badly of him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, the four hour work week is a you know an exaggeration of real reality. Like the reason it's appealing is it's hyperbolic. Yeah, sure. it's like oh, I can work in four hours and escape the nine to five job, live anywhere, and join the new rich. Yeah. Like talk about like copy that sales copy that's super interesting and you can do it in four hours um the reality is you can um you know this is a big book on purpose i think this is not like number one bestseller but the big reason people like this book is because of the title you know there's no strain when you think about what this book is it's the system one purchase like oh four hour work week sounds great um, expand and updated a version. It's like freedom, happiness. So if this was an Amazon ad, what would you say? You got Dr. Stuart Friedman 
you know, an authority endorsing the book, The Four-Hour Workweek, Cognitive Fluency, Escape the Nine to Five, Pain Avoidance, um, Expanded and Updated, Novelty Bias. He's got like six of them on the cover. Yeah. Uh, number one bestseller, Social Proof. Um, everything has it, and these cognitive triggers are never going to leave us be aware they're happening to you. Become a student of, of, um, of behavior. Um, I think the ones that become most adept in understanding, recognizing, and processing uh, decisions through the cognitive channels will win. I really want to look up why, speaking of that, those cognitive triggers, why all self-help books appear to be white, orange, and red, like all of them. Hmm. I just got a question. Which one do you want to look at? Not, no, I'm just saying like <laughs> they're all red, orange, and white. <clears throat> Steve, look at that. Why, why are books... Red. There's, they're mostly no bi- business books. Are, bi- a lot of business books are red, right? Yeah. Why are books red? As in, like, why do we well, read them? Look at look at this stack, for example. Everything's red, orange, and white, like yeah. including this. I just got a question chat on my chat here on Facebook, Chris. How do how do we calm the fears of our clients? He's a financial advisor. What do you think? Calm the fears of the. Uh, I would ask for context. What is that? Um. I'm sure it's in the context of, you know, people are, people are immobilized by, by fear right now. Mm. Like, you talk about long-term planning. Oh, so not pertaining to the service, just life in general? Yeah, just like, well, he's a financial planner, so that's a long-term. Like, imagine doing something for 20 years from now, today. Yeah. Like, that's a, you know, that's a concern, and a lot of people says, well, I'm not sure what tomorrow looks like. Why should I do that? Mm. So you got you to gotta make that, you got to tell that story. Um, I guess the answer to it would be, you know, you want to you wanna market as, you know, it is what it is and it isn't what it isn't. Um, and there's, there's going to be a cost of waiting to do something and there's going to be a cost of not doing something. And you got to make someone feel what they, through an action, what you've lost. Uh, so you lo- you're losing the past a lot of times, particularly financially, people haven't done what they're supposed to do. And they don't have a strategy in place of losing the, the present and then the future. You got to quantify that and what that would feel like, um, the cost of waiting and what that pain would look like tomorrow. But you got to put it in today's context. Put it in today's context. Yeah, you context. almost got to risk reverse it. You got you to have people you know, put the cook in the kitchen type thing. I like, like that. This is what it's going to feel like. Um, it's, a t- it's tough. There's never been times like this yeah. for, the, for, that, for that particular industry. It's all new. It's all new. Their products are 30 years out sometimes, 50 years out. Well, it comes down to me like, so their products are 30 years out. They've never been down that road before. There's there's two two buckets, right? There's things that you can control and things you can't. Mm -hmm. And so you got to segment those and then, you know, dive into the things that you can. You, You can only play the hand that you have. Right. And I think, and I'm saying that because I know that's sort of broad in a generality, but... We spend a lot of time freaking out about stuff that is beyond our means of adjusting as opposed to adapting to it, you know? So, like, the conversations I hear you have with, with your financial advisor buddies, it's like, are you moving on to Zoom? Are you changing the way you present? Are the dynamics of your delivery shifting? All those things are super important. Right. Because um, you have to be the one that adapts. Oh, for sure. What you say is, is interesting because this... He mentions chess in his speeches. I've, I've seen some of Daniel's uh, speeches, and he talks about the master chess player can make that snap decision and usually do it right. 
But most of us aren't master chess players because in chess, there's a mathematical move that's always better than another move. You can always make a, a uh, the computer can make that calculation pretty quickly. Mm. A master chess player can make that calculation yeah, pretty quickly. Cool. You can't. I can't. We're not master chess players. So a lot of times, advertisers want you to play master chess with them, and you're not a master chess player, and their sales copy and sales funnels are. And you want to be able to, to slow it down on that. In that case, it's a great time to go into the effortful process of evaluating. Yeah, that was an important yeah. part for me, like to, to realize that it's not just things are system one or they're system two. Like You can work to make something system one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. Because um, I guess my 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 idea before reading that, you know, having just heard a summary, was like, okay, what are our system one things? What are our system two? And it's obviously not that black and white. Right. It's not. No. This is a tough one. There's no there's no stories that I remember as much in a lot of other books, because I was kind of fascinated by the psychology. It was like Psych 101. Reminded me of Holy Cross. I don't know how psychologists do it when they're talking to someone. Like, there's this giant reservoir of potential problems people have. Like, how do you pick one versus the other? I know. <laughs> I don't get it. I had a question on that, basically, is with all these cognitive biases in mind, how do you, what's a good way to practice becoming aware of them? Is there anything you can think of that helps work on them? Because, like, I hear them, I know them, and then I start to notice them. How do you start to work on them? In my, in my opinion, I feel like you answered the question asking it. It's yeah. like... You know, that's that's the beauty is like, because you can never be aware of something you, mm -hmm. you don't know, you've never read about. Yes. Um, and that's sort of the ignorance is bliss thing. Like one of the reasons that, that this is so incredible, it's like once you can identify it and understand it, then you can look at how many times it appears in your life. You know, mm -hmm. like there are certain things that you have to remain focused on mm -hmm. or, or it will elude you. Um, but yeah, you gotta identify them first. You and I were talking over coffee on our lounge there, out there. We were talking about you were going to med school, or you want to be a lawyer, lawyer or doctor, lawyer, lawyer, yeah, lawyer. Do so you want to go to law school? We were talking about standardized tests, and if you talk about like making the right decision in the in the tests, I know this because I've been on boards and committees about standardized tests for uh, licensing. A test in an industry was. Um, the Series 7, which is a stockbroker's exam. Do you know they used to introduce 10 fake questions on material that wasn't in the study material in the first 20? They used to have like 10 of them are, are, are not judged or just wrong questions to introduce stress. And then they, they also try to trick you with having trick questions like, you know, it's always this or it's never that. It's or A and not B or two and sometimes three. Did you ever see those? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, those are examples of, of, of uh, illusions, too, system one illusions that, that uh, test givers mm. want you to you know, get into. They want you to, um, they want you to fumble and rush through because they don't want you in their industry if you're not thorough. So the process that I learned to take a test was when you have a test, a multiple guest test, you read the question twice the first time, and then you go through and you eliminate the answers in there. You'll go through, look for the wrong answers, mm -hmm. get rid of them. There are usually two really bad ones in there that are trick questions. And then you look for the word, and the remaining two, you look for the words always and never. All right? And then, you know, go to system two and evaluate those because those are almost always trick questions. And then if you don't know, you pick C. 
That's the joke part, but <laughs> but it, that's a good way to take a test. There's a good way to do anything important is read the question twice. That's also funny that look for the getting tricked. You know, you said remove always because those are almost always wrong. Almost always right. But it <laughs> just I don't know. It was perfect. That's like if they're never. If you ever see a question that says you know something never happens on this. Some something never happens this day is usually uh, a trick. Yeah. Yeah, in those tests, which is interesting. But that's a way Steve Long answered your question. That was a very specific. I mean, that's that's helpful. Yeah, understanding the format yeah. of a test. There's a YouTube video on that, by the way, if you got a test to take. I can't imagine a world where I'm taking one, but again, you're going to take one at some point. You're going to you take one. Yeah. That's you're you're going to take a <laughs> test. Never what that means. never I'm failed out right now, guys. <laughs> I never failed one. What's up? I never failed one. And a test? my Series 7, I returned the book in its wrapper. I never even opened the book. A lot of people don't believe me, but I didn't. So how'd you pass? I doubt it. I, st- I just uh, took the software. I kept taking the te- I recalled all of them. I kept taking the, the, uh, the practice exams until I got an 88. So I, I broke it down into five, and I kept taking the exams until I got an 88, and, then I, and I just tr- crammed the whole thing. Mm. I, went to, I was, took my Series 7 the week of September 11th, 2001. Tuesday, September 11th was Options Tuesday. When we were learning about options, there's a formula to, to calculate options. And like at nine o'clock, the guy came in and said, "The test center's closed. Someone bombed the the Twin Towers." Wow, that was wild. That's that was crazy. Very surreal. I'll never forget it. I was yeah. You never forget moments like that, man. Yeah. I was gonna see Blink 182 in Long Beach. Postpone. Oh Again, wow. Not the big issue at hand <laughs> there, but <laughs> as a kid, it was like what. <laughs> I, there was no definitive, definitive moment when COVID nineteen, like world's going to change right now, was there? I think it was. On, when, you know, I was thinking about this. This is a pretty we big. Talked about this too earlier. This today. is a pretty big episode in the history of mankind. Like you're going to say to your grandkids once they come rolling around, mm-hmm. like I started a business there have been COVID nineteen. Hopefully, right? yeah. Or you're going to say something like that, <laughs> or you don't know what it's like. I started this business during you know a, a pandemic, but. It wasn't like on a day though. It just kind of came as a. It kind of came and built up. Yeah, I think it, I think it was realistic to me when um, the restaurants closed and we couldn't get any food. You and I were talking about this today. Yeah, like I bought I bought a, a big thing of uh, what was it Gatorade because you've been drinking it to get the electrolytes. Mm-hmm. I bought it because I was worried about nutrition survival. Yeah, and I bought all kinds of beans and rice that's still sitting in the System cabinet. System one. We haven't gotten bad enough to <laughs> eat the beans yet, but... Uh, have you guys uh, read any other Tim Ferriss books? Because that one, I think Tools of Titans looks <coughs> amazing, but it's huge. Yeah, I have that in my, uh, my office. So it's not, it's not one that's meant to be read cover to cover. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like, um, like a bunch of different interviews he did with, I'm talking nutrition to musicians to <laughs> actors wow. to... All co- what I do. <laughs> I was thinking about the three or four hour work week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to write a book called The Three Hour, three hour Work Week. Um, I'm sorry. He dropped some, <laughs> some mean three or four in there. <laughs> I was, uh, sorry. Oh no, that's good. Um, when's but, the first time you heard of him? Because I think the first time I heard it was a podcast. and it was. I think it was this book. It was, uh, uh, this is my second time reading it, but it was so long ago that I don't remember anything yeah. in it except what we were talking about earlier where he's talking about like not doing emails. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but 
Yeah, I know he's like a renaissance <laughs> man. He's like into all kinds of crazy. Yeah, the mo- the main thing I know him for is like the the cult of productivity. Yeah, I remember mentioning that one that was like hyper productivity is kind of cool. And angel investing. Oh, okay, I didn't even know that. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's a big angel investor. Um, but uh, anyway, that book Tool Titans is like you you pick people that you like, and they have like a ten page interview, and there's some really oh, good wow. stuff. Yeah. T, have you heard of him before, Tim Ferriss? Do you know much about him? No, I read, I heard about the p- potential I could work four hours in a week, so I ran out and buy the book. <laughs> System um, one. Yeah, and then uh, <laughs> I do remember this because there's no way to do it, by the way, and, and make anything meaningful in four hours a week, <laughs> period. And I've seen debates on the whole topic, you, unless you live to be 3,000 years old. But the, what I liked about the book is the beginning of the book where he's having breakfast in South America. I, I believe I haven't read the book again yet. I will this weekend, but um, he cashes out a you know beautiful breakfast, in a, and he's on a resort, and it was like three bucks because he was living currently living in a different country, making more than way more than that each day in his automated processes. That makes a lot of sense to me if that's what you want to do. But building it in four weeks or four four hours a week is is definitely challenging. Well, it's a big misconception. It's like, yeah, maybe you get to that point, the whole passive income thing, mm-hmm. but you got to spend a decade creating the the systems and the platforms and the foundations for that to happen, you know? Yeah. It's and it's it's like if you know, the only business I can see that's like that passive is like real estate, and I know a lot of people have a lot a lot of real estate and they don't work 4 hours a week. They don't yeah. they, you know, you're just watching money, you can spend 6 or 8 hours a week just what? watching the money correctly unless you just you know, that you're just going to get ripped off. YouTube. Uh, what? YouTube. Incredibly right. passive. I could never, well, never you, post you, a video again. But you would never, you could, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's possible. Yeah, that is one of the ways. Good for you. You figured it out. I'd read your book because you do it. <laughs> <laughs> I got a comment from David McMahon. <laughs> he, says, hey. he says that your defining moment was when you, couldn't, when you couldn't buy toilet paper and Lysol. That was your defining moment. <laughs> Were you trying that? to? Who is that kid? <laughs> my defining moment. Yeah. Toilet paper. Oh my god, yeah. Your defining moment was we got food, toilet paper and guns in the car. Come downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> it does, you know, you never you never know what it comes to. I know. It was you really crazy. never know. I was talking about that today. It's like you don't everything shut down and you don't like you would never I never expected it. When it happened, I was like I, I didn't think everything would shut down completely just frozen like that, but it was crazy. Oh, Danielle has a good point. He's like a he's a huge podcaster. I was going to say for those that don't, let me read this Tim real quick. So for, for those shit. that uh, don't know Tim Ferriss, he's uh, his show is one of the most popular podcasts in the world with over four hundred million downloads. It's been selected for the best of Apple Podcasts three times. It's often the number one interview podcast across all Apple Podcasts, and it's been ranked number one out of four hundred thousand podcasts on many occasions. Okay, well, damn, yeah. I still don't think you can work four hours. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the idiot. He uh, I'm halfway through my life. If I live to a hundred, and I can't figure it out. You know where you first heard him? It was uh, Ryan Holiday's book. Yeah, the yeah. end of obstacles. The way. Oh no, I I actually read his book. I read his book uh, a couple years ago. Oh, you did? Yeah, I like the book. I'm just I'm just kidding because I know Ty Lopez and him go at it on the four hour work week. Uh, you know, Ty Ty thinks the same thing. It doesn't really matter what anyone thinks. If you can figure it out, do it. Yeah, yeah we have some I'll give you five hundred. What? A couple cognitive biases. <laughs> oh yeah, I, you know I have a bias towards biases. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my favorite lines. And he goes, "You know what? You know what I like too is this anchoring, um, or, or uh, they call it framing." Remember we talked about this? 
they don't have the data out like if you go to the store you have it uh let's say it's what's the percentage chance you get you could get COVID nineteen and die? When? Like if right I went now. to the store yeah. right now? What's the percentage chance you can get it and die? Almost zero. Well let's say is it close to one somewhere in the world if you get it? I don't even think it is, is it? Well it was for under 30, if you're healthy, 0.05 was the statistic I heard But today. even if you're over 80, right, what's the, what's the chance you die from it? Um, if you're, I think the oldest bracket was four times more likely than the flu. Which is high. So it's one, let's say it's 1% right. or 2%. So in framing, he talks about this too, which I, l- I love the way you can say something one of two ways. Like you can say, you know, there's a 2% chance you're going to die. Or the opposite would be there's a 98% uh, survival rate. Same exact data, but the first one signs, you know, a 2% chance of dying isn't low. Right. You know, that's what a lot of people, but a 98% survival rate seems like it's much easier. It really does. It frames the whole thing. You know, the surgeries, uh, you hear that a lot in surgeries, like the chance of infection is, is uh, you know, 6%. Like, oh, that's six percent. That's like not zero. Right. Or they if they said the chance of infection is ninety four percent, chances are you'd be fine. Ninety four. Ninety four is better than six. If someone if someone <laughs> told me though they're like ninety four percent success rate and I got an infection, I'd be like, <laughs> Oh no, that's what I would you? get it. <laughs> I know I'd get it. Ninety <laughs> four. Uh, that's called framing. You know, when you frame something, I don't know how you do it with you. How would you do it with kids? I guess so. Well, you would definitely, if you wanted to do something, you'd give them the percentage chance you're going to be in a bad place. Like, if you don't finish high school, or if you don't go to college, there's a, you know, there's a 50% or 40% chance you'll be unsuccessful. You know, instead of someone says that, then someone said, well, people that go to college 60% of the time are successful. Yeah. This is the same thing. That's why pain in marketing is so important, right? When yeah. You pull someone down into that. That's a big, oh, it's an interesting story. Like if you're trying to sell someone on dropping a quarter million bucks to go to college and you say, well, if you don't spend the quarter million, there's a 40% chance you'll never make over a hundred grand. Like, okay. And then the other one would say, well, if you, if you don't go to college and you do something else, there's a 60% chance you could make over a hundred grand in the trades or something. Right. It's the inversion of the, the darn story. It's the same story, but one sounds different than the other. And if you're trying to sell something, you want to frame it around the good outcome. If you're trying to, you know, really do real risk assessment, you want to frame the, the bad outcome. I like that. As well said. Yeah. My, my idea of college has changed so much since I went. Like, I didn't even think about price. I don't think anyone does. A lot of people don't. It's like you just go because you have to go and you realize you're going to be in debt forever. Would you go again? No, uh, what you know now, would you go to college? Or maybe not. Would you take the cash and start a company? So that's that's what yeah, I was gonna say. Right, like if I if I had cash in hand, maybe mm-hmm. not. Yeah. But the, between the rowing team and writing, I'm very happy I went. Yeah, you you, you got writing in college. Yeah, got I, I read a ton of. I grew up a lot socially in college, so I don't. I think I would still like to go to college. Yeah. Or, I guess, um, go maybe a couple years later. Hmm. I don't know. That's it is weird because every every person I talked to, and even myself, it was that age. It was so hard to make a decision at eighteen or nineteen to pick mm. your major. It's like you don't even know yeah. who you are. So it's like picking your major at that time was felt like you have no clue. 
What were you undecided at first? Or? No, I went right with uh, computer science. Oh, okay. But then I switched to a more broad, which was IT, because computer science was like in the weeds of, of like computer coding and things, and it was just like I did not like Isn't it. Isn't that funny? So like from what I know about you, that's like the antithesis of Steve. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's, well, he, yeah. He, we've always said this, that he's extraordinarily fast at figuring things out. Yeah. Like he gets it. He just figures shit out. That's pretty <laughs> impressive. Imagine if you worked more than four hours in a week. I know. I really <laughs> like that book. I really like that book. I know you could write. You could write one too. <laughs> <laughs> Different premise. <laughs> you probably read it. Uh, check the. Check Wait. The so results only work environment. That's the. Yeah. That's the new. That's the new economy. Yeah. I, I'm. I'm dealing with a couple of companies right now, and they're like, "Wow, we're productive without physical space." Like they're, they're they're dealing with that challenge. Like, is there a world where we don't need the physical space? My answer is yes. I mean, I, I think it's. I'm gonna start surveying people. Like, a lot of people really like staying home and hanging out with their family. And a lot of people really hate a it. Huge, a huge <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? That that's an interesting point because yeah. like I would I would not like to go to work. I missed going to work when I for my friends and things like that. Yeah. But like being home was so much easier for food like especially when you want to eat healthy yeah. it's like you can cook you have your fridge you don't have to bring it it's like way less it seems like way less to do when right. you when you're home all the time like even now like i go home to eat because i have all my things you it's, laugh a lot more when you are around people though yes we laugh a lot but we tell each other this thing you know you, when you're around other people you start to pick up on new funny things right i miss that i miss that interaction you it's always get that it's like you're with your group of buddies every day yeah yeah you could start you could regress back to that's yeah. what I think is so great about the other book, Drive. I, I've noticed that that's a huge part of my life is the autonomy of it. Like, if I could go into that job, the corporate one, when I wanted and, like, maybe leave and take a long break, I'd be coming and going <laughs> a lot, but I would have much more right. enjoyable experience because the fact that I had to be there from, like, 8 to 12 and couldn't really leave, that's hard. You know, you have to be in one place. And for me, it's really hard, especially you want to eat, you want to move your body, whatever it is. If I can come and go, I'd have a lot of fun. <laughs> he, he taught the, the nine to five grind is is just it's just old and archaic. Like people have to go somewhere for eight hours. That's even if it it's incredibly interesting. It's not healthy, in my opinion. I think you got to move and go do things. And, and and you know we were designed to move. We weren't designed to sit in a, a desk yeah. in a cube. I know we beat on that a little bit. We have corporate clients. Um, um, I just I just think that people people want to interact they want to move around they want to go check stuff out you know they might want to work a little later or show up a little earlier and have a lot more autonomy that's, that's a drive that's is such a powerful book it really exposes that yeah, i really like him i'm going to start reading more of his stuff yeah what does he have more books like drive i don't even he's know he's got what uh, else he has. to sell is human that's his new book he put it out last year i didn't read it yet oh. to sell is human i'm pretty sure it's about m m motivation um I'd like to get a, a recommendation on a good book that is business, but as a story, like The Alchemist, mm. or like what you turned into The Martian. That you get the uh, the Green Star. What do you call those? Well, the thing is that you don't. Is it a green star, like a lot of those are, star. are like because I, I, I was searching for fiction books that are are business related, but like you kind of just gotta guess and be lucky i mean because you can take a concept from any book you know i think alice in wonderland is uh, like as weird as that sounds i guarantee you there's stuff in there that would be amazing what, We're is, gonna the, do what is the alice in wonderland theme that she goes what's the storyline of alice in wonderland can you look that up I, like, I was thinking about goldilocks Eddie, you know that's goldilocks is 
Alice in Wonderland is the one that like follows a rabbit into that hole, and there's like the Queen of is it Hearts? Oh, I don't is, know. Is but that I, where the term rabbit hole came from? I well, other than the fact that they live in them. A rabbit lives in a hole. <laughs> they don't live in an actual hole. They're in the side of a mountain. <laughs> It's like, I don't know. Uh, no, I think it is. Yeah, like jumping down the rabbit hole. Um, I don't know. A song I'm, about that. What's the book about? Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> Alice in Wonderland fans, where is this? Let's see. Alice in Adventures in, is, on one level at least, the story of a girl who disappears down a rabbit hole to a fantastic place of full of bizarre adventures. Mm. Uh, after boating trip, 10-year-old Alice... Badger, don't write it down. I don't know if this is a story of the thing or just a story about the, how it was written. Um, but isn't it? Oh, the Cheshire Cat disappears, leaving only an enigmatic, enigmatic grin. Drinks a potion, eats pieces of mushrooms, changes her physical state. I don't know if this is helpful. Probably. There's just so many good Lewis, Lewis Carroll quotes. Like, sometimes yeah. I think as many as six impossible things before breakfast. Seven. And just, like, really cool stuff like that. I'm like, ah, I want to read that. Oh, I see. But maybe yeah. a books to business podcast is not the. Place. Well, we're looking at doing a relationship <laughs> book, true about uh, about loving yourself and all the all the reasons loving yourself will make you a better negotiator, better business partner, better boss. Yeah, um, more transparent. Like Brene Brown says, you can't give what you don't have if you don't love yourself. Yeah, yeah. We only have seven minutes left. Um, what do you want to leave them with? I don't know. I, uh, let's see. I can't really see the questions. Have any popped up? or Laugh scared me. I would laugh so hard if you announced that our next book is Alice. Would you guys consider writing a book? <laughs> Daniela asks yeah. if you guys would consider writing that a book. funny. We th- we're, Eddie's outlining his book today on the porch. It's not a porch, technically, is it? I don't know what <laughs> it is. What's that called? A deck? A deck? T, you got another book in the works? I'm working on. I have two. I have two books. I'm working on one that's just a small uh, book, and I got this from Dan Sullivan. He writes a book a quarter, and he has uh, structured the way so he's he he outlines it. He has a professional journalist interview him. They record it. They create a transcription, and then he has a writing partner, and they work together to write the document. But he pumps them out short, under under a hundred pages on a, on a topic, and he puts four of them out a year. So I have one that I want to write, you know, based upon my TED talk about recreating oneself is the name of it, mm. brain, body, and business, and how to transform, and uh, in that three-step process, you know, using the algorithm. That's just something quick because I talk about it so much, it'd be nice to say, oh, it's it's here, you know, read it. There's, you know, you can go through a little a little uh, uh, you know self journey. That's awesome. And the other one's about about um, a business principle that I know. That'll be easy. I actually have that outlined. Yeah, you're almost done. I'm done. I got to do the, the hard part. Mm. Probably six hours of inter, you know of talking and getting transcribed. You're going to make it an audio book as well? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would. Yeah. I love I can't read. I can't spell and I can't read very well. Living proof that you don't need to do either of those. <laughs> I, read, I, read, I can read if I'm looking at it and hearing it. That's how I gobble up books. Whatever work. I mean, that's what it's yeah. about, right? Find the Something's hack. cooking. You know, sometimes yeah. I just get lost. Yeah. comes down to what's called misunderstood words. There's science behind going past a word you don't know. And once you go past it and you just kind of fill in the blanks, like what you see is all there is, and you keep going, uh, psychology and science will tell you that you're going to start understanding everything from that point way less. Yeah. So if you don't know a word, stop and look it up. 
That's interesting. I never do that. Yeah, That's I don't either. Because you're always like, I can kind of figure out what that word the means. The thing is, though, you recall words later that you didn't even know you knew. Like, I say words, and I'm like, is that right? I've never said that before. And I look it up, and it's right. It's 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 interesting. And that never happened with me. I say, <laughs> I say saber tooth <laughs> like, elephant. That's you know, not I, a thing. I, I put something from today with something I learned when I was six, and I invent something out of word. That's funny. What but, do you got? But Steve? I am I actually am working on a book though. Oh. Uh, it's going to be called Stronger Than You Think You Are, and that's uh-huh. all I really know. Outlining it right now, so it's going to be called Running in the Rain, and then I'm like, it's basically it's not. T- Specific enough. Tell them so. how we arrived at, at, at that. You were going through your, your your chapters, right? We're just sitting. I remember that was two days ago. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I've, I'm saying I'm writing a book now, and I am. And I, that's what I'm going to spend the next three months doing. But, like, really, I've been writing this thing for four years, you know, with all these speeches and videos that I've put out. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of compiling, like, my favorite concepts, grouping them together to chunk out the book. And when I mentioned Stronger Than You Think You Are, which is one I wrote about my grandfather, like, way back, you were like, ooh. That's a good that's title. That's a catchy title. I'm like, that is a good title. That's so clear. And uh, yeah. What's, What was the breakthrough that I had was, because I know Running the Rain, I know the whole concept, we've talked about it and I heard it, and I've seen you do that speech live. It's great, but you need to hear the speech to really know what running, the big idea about Running in the right. Rain is. Right. But when you talk about you're stronger than you think you are, if that's the name of the book and there's 10 ways to be to to activate these strengths you have you know by calling them up and knowing you have them uh, I said wow that's like an easy thing to understand you know what though and I'm glad you said that because that's what's been hurting me I mean that's one of my I want, I like being mis- like you know like I, I like making people guess like dancing with no music and titles like that right. and it's just it's like I've said a million times on this podcast it's shooting yourself in the foot because people need to know what they're clicking you can't trick them into clicking it right. but there's just such a poetic like you know running in the rain dancing with no music it's just nice I see that's an interesting uh, challenge because the artist in you would want to go to the, the the artistic expression of the title like yeah. you, you don't call art a, a cognitive fluent word right you would call art whatever is your expression of that word. Yeah, if you tested it, though, which is the greatest thing about social media now, you could test titles and get real feedback from your audience on which one they like better. Yeah, I'll do that. You guys read Moby Dick? <laughs> <laughs> Herman Melville's from Pittsfield, Mass., which is where I, I grew up. That's what everyone was wondering. Yeah. <laughs> no, the Moby? reason I ask is because I looked up some novels that might teach you about business. <laughs> Moby Dick, really? Yeah, literary literary classic is less a conventional tale of a business endeavor than it is a series of lessons in leadership. I say we at least consider it. Yes. So, Are you yeah. kidding me? I I know that guy. No, you Moby don't. Dick. Well, you I don't sat know I sat in a house that he was in once. Ah. I was close. Now he's from he's from my hometown. Or he wrote yeah. the book in Pittsfield, Mass. There's a whole same Herman Melville, right? He's a whale. Oh, the whale! The whale's <laughs> very badass. I wonder who would win. That whale or a saber tooth elephant? <laughs> yeah, that's the battle of a lifetime, right there. <laughs> All right. All right. Any Rock on. Don Quixote. My dad read that. Don Quixote. <laughs> None of these. Something happened. The White Tiger sounds good. What did you Google? Books that novels books that, that yeah it came that have a bad. story that are business principles. I love The Martian. It's so it's, The Ten Martian novels. Is, that will make you smarter about business. That's what came up when I typed in business books fiction. The Alchemist. Yeah. Have we ever gone over the hour? 
I don't think so. But we're about to. What do you think happened? Like, will, will it boot us? No, I don't think we're fine. No, it won't boot you. What do you mean? The, the, the system? So then why do we do, like, the countdown, like... Well, you got to start on time. You can end whenever you want. It's oh. your sandbox. You know the principle. I always thought it was like, because Steve's like, two minutes. I'm like, okay, all right. No, no. Uh, you know the sandbox principle? You know, this is our sandbox. We can start late and end early like like uh, all kinds of people we know do. Right. Yeah, right. but if, if you're, in, you're in someone else's sandbox, you got to play by their rules. Ten gotcha. seconds. The old, in the old Zoom, the, the free Nine. Zoom, 45 hey. seconds, it cut you off. What do you got to say for Thursday night evening? People all over the world go. Last thing you're going to say for tonight. Well, we can introduce our next book. There it is. The three or four hour work week. The three <laughs> or four hour work week. Yep. <laughs> One more. Oh, three or four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know how many of you guys have read this, but it's it's really a cool book. There's like, you'd think that the idea is, for those that haven't, that it's like technical and a lot, and some of it is email management, like simplification, but a lot, there's a lot of really good motivation and mindset. And I always go crazy about books that kind of combine those two, like mindset, how to look at things, how to readjust your life. And then, okay, once you're there, here are some, you know, some practical application that you can use to uh, help create that for yourself. And that's one of the things that's really great about that. So he talks about virtual assistants a lot. Here, he does. Right? Yeah. yeah. Using freelancers. Um, I could, I've really benefited from them. You know, things that used to cost me weeks and thousands of dollars cost me minutes and dollars, mm. like using people. I have a guy from Bangladesh do a logo for me while I was on a Zoom call today. Oh, nice. You know, I, I typed it in. I was like, could you do this for me? By the end of the call, there was a logo. A good one, too, not a crappy one. Anywhere investor? I did it for I, I did I did it for the anywhere the that anywhere advisor ass. system like yeah, yeah. Oh, advi- the anywhere sorry. advisor yeah how to how to do it from anywhere. All right, cool. all right, rock and roll. Thanks Bye, everyone. We'll Thanks see you for Tuesday. hanging out. See you later. See you next week. Toodaloo.